bringing to light the coming persecution, resisting the globalist tyranny and autocracy of the party of Davos, and defending the American Republic of political liberty and the freedom of conscience. This is the Looking Glass Forum. Welcome back. So we're welcome back, Looking Glass Forum. Here we are once again, and uh, we've been working hard. We've been really busy. It's been hard to get the time to put together another episode. So we've been working 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. Uh, my wife's busy with her with her work, and she has uh, a small business that she runs. She actually works a full-time job also. And I, like I said, I've been working seven days a week. And we're just very busy, so it's hard to kind of get time sometimes to put these together, but I want to take time to just um, shed light on what really is the unspoken byline, the, the buried lead, if you will, the headline that is completely buried that no one is discussing because there, there's too much rhetoric, there's too many sideline narratives that are being drummed up to take up all the noise on the social media, like in Google, I mean, what, these platforms are are totally deranged now um, when it comes to the, the principle, of their existential purpose, and they've become drunk and mad on, the, on their power, and they're, they're just completely dysfunctional, obsolete instruments of futility. And, you know, they, we look at them, uh, the New York Times, we look at, you know, when you look on Google just for information, just, just to get an idea of what's happening in the world, it's it completely, it's a prism. It, it slants the world into this horrifying and really fictitious worldview. So it's a system of propaganda that we're really trying to face down. We're, tr we're trying to break through, so that's where National Pulse comes in. So everyone's been talking about it, War Room, and everyone's talking about um, Raheem Kassam and Natalie Winters and what, and what they're doing. And it's really having this tremendous effect. So we have to talk about the issue with Peter Daszak. And so I want to get on the story before it really gets to be where it's too late. You know, because we're, we're really bringing this information out now. And it's, it's, it, Peter Daszak was ultimately fired from his job with the United Nations where it was kind of um, incestual where he was chosen to be one of the arbitrators uh, of adjudication and, and doing the, uh, the rundown of the investigation of what exactly happened with the COVID-19 epidemic. And at the same time, Peter Daszak was one of the sole proprietors, one of the actual people instrumental in developing the COVID virus which was a weaponized gain of function research where they're taking these bad viruses, they're looking at this molecular tissues, looking at the genetic basis for how communicative, how infectious are these viruses, and then changing them to affect humans in an unnatural way. Not in a natural way, but in, in, it's, it's horrifying what they've done. And of course, it's gonna be covered up and buried. But the Peter Daszak being fired is really just kind of a revelation of reality where the rubber meets the road they can no longer really hide the story they can no longer really do the little dance and and, and they're predicting Fauci will be next in a few weeks of course they predicted that uh, Peter Daszak would be would be gone and that was just four weeks ago and I remember 
listening at the podcast. I haven't been listening long, but really guys, let's, let's pay attention here and see that the information is being exposed and the, the masquerade is ending. The lights are coming up and the emperor has no clothes. I mean, we have a completely deranged moron for the president and we have a lightweight groveling sycophant for vice president so many amazing powerful women they could do such a good job being the vice president and they have to jam that idiot prostitute kamala harris onto the vice president's seat i just it's really depraved what has happened to our country and and now we have to go back and look as the the wave crests of propaganda and bias mind control that the media seems to assert over the populace as that seems to fall apart over time we have to look at the audits The election audits are coming up here. They can't be stopped. The count is the count. Recognize people that these states have the right to draw back their their electors at any time. Isn't that crazy how that works constitutionally? So we're only in June. I mean, these constitutional issues regarding president have have drawn out before in history for over a long time. They're talking about Trump coming back. I, I really don't know. Everyone is looking at everyone else like they're crazy, but I don't really don't know how this how this works, guys. But we have a major issue, and in the background of that, you have the couple on the Puerto Rican Day parade. So you're having you're a proud young Puerto Rican family, and you're out because this is your your time to celebrate your particular the virtue of your particular national ethnic traditions. And these complete deranged animals, these complete despicable monsters. You saw it. It's it's war, guys. We're in a war, and this is a war of people who have had their souls infected and corrupted by you know by this this evil, this ubiquitous field of evil. If you watch the True Detective, it's the psychosphere. It's this, you know, these people are so sold out to selling crack. And, and really when they're selling crack, they're really crackheads. They just haven't, they haven't figured it out yet. They're young, they're shooting people, they're selling crack to everybody. They don't realize how that ends is they go to prison and they end up on crack too in a couple of years. So these people selling crack, they're crackheads. They're selling it, they have it. They're trying to, they're trying to earn their little money on it. I mean, the, the 99% of the value of it was already earned when it came across the border from Colombia in a little pack with the cartel stamp on it. But these idiots are trying to sell ice in, uh, in winter or whatever, because now they have crack and they cook it up. They cook up the cocaine, they make crack, which is just more toxic and poisonous and addictive. And they sell it to the, their own community. And this all leads to, this is how you get this, this complete demoralization. And, and, and then the rap culture, we, sh- we should not permit these savage morons to say, this isn't freedom of speech when they get to, to, to commit crimes and to threaten people and endanger the welfare of the community, making drug innuendos. And these idiots, these dangerous, murderous psychopaths with the crack, right? I mean, these are the ones who we're at war with. It doesn't matter what shape or form, you know, what, what, how it comes. Ultimately, we have to be prepared to, to clean sweep these cities out just because, you know, these people have perpetuated. I mean, if you've lived in America, I, I talk to all of my friends and family. I mean, if you, there's people that are first and second generation who have been in the country a short time and understand this is a ladder and you build a business and you, you make, you do the best that you can and you, your world changes. And, and these, the people who have been here for generations or families have been here for generations and all they've learned how it is to be government dependent and, and totally, they're fatherless homes, guys. Let's take a look at what it is. These, these people have no, they're fatherless. I mean, there used to be a word for that, but these people have no fathers and they've grown up in a culture that's told them to massacre and kill one another. And it's just so debased and the, the, the murders in Chicago, it's just so awful. So we lost that entire city to this chaotic bloodshed. The internet scene 
violence that just seems to and then you're going to take this critical race theory and throw it in the middle of that and it's just gas poured on 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 a, on a flame and that's that's what we're dealing with in, the, in this culture now so we're at a point now where we were set up far away in the country i've heard enough three months before the the last election there where donald trump won and then the chinese hacked it and stole it right so that's what we're going to have to be dealing with that those are those are the reality and of course you're, if you go into watch ms lsd and and, and uh cm and, and, and all these kind of and Twitter and you just kind of accept the the control the mechanisms of control over dialogue and over thought the censorship police if you accept this uh, cancel culture then ultimately we're at odds at, at a place in this culture where Russia is starting to take back huge sections of the Soviet Union China is building its military jumping points across the Pacific towards us and, and threatening the rest of the world and, and put it basically silencing Australia it's like Mordor it's like Lord of the Rings and Mordor guys that's what we're dealing with so it's it's a horrifying situation to be having this civil strife but it's so well engineered and these kind of philosophies like Heidegger Hegel Marx and if you don't know what any of those terms are you should just go to a different podcast okay you're done the wrong one but I mean, these are just several names. Rousseau, I mean, these are just people that, you know, French and German Illuminatists, they were connected with the Illuminati for sure, without, without any, you know, that's, we, we've already kind of talked about in, this, in this, these episodes and we'll talk about more. But these were men who created really sophisticated idea viruses and ideologies that control the populace because they're easily controlled and you give them these notions and they're just really sloganeering. It's really ultimately the sophistry of their demagoguery is really profoundly well engineered. That's that's what it's all about. So when we go back and look at Karl Marx, how he was over there in the Museum of London being tutored by Peter Becks, right? He's a SJ, right? So that's where, I mean, Marx didn't come up with all these ideas on his own. It was just somebody who was there, who was who was open to being used by you know the ide ideological livery of Rome. So let's just make sure that let's recap. So at this point, we've discussed Albert Pike and his creation of the supernal Palladian right, which was the order above thirty third degree and above that really were the princes and nobilities and the money powers and the, the the contracting authorities of Europe who were really trying to figure out how to get their colonies back, how to get their territories back, how to get all their human resources. back back that I just declared uh, mutiny. That's how it is in Admiralty, right? In Admiralty law, the law of the high seas, law of the ships and the pirates, right? Jack Sparrow, J-S, that's his initials, right? The pirate with the black ship. So you have to understand like how Hollywood runs, how these things are just the order of the pattern of power that exists. So the Admiralty law, the law of Hammurabi, the, the ancient law of the high seas that governed, that really was reinvented again by Rome because it's necessary to have these, the laws of these borders, the laws of these, of transacting that you become universal if in order to have an empire. If everyone's doing their own thing and on their own different wavelength and on their own different cultural and language barriers and their own conducting their own totally separate systems, they're not compatible. But port, port of entry where different ships come and go and you trade, there has to be a system of trade that's universal, that's understandable between all these different trading partners. So that's where you get into internationalism. And that's how Rome, and that's where, we, that's where we're going, guys. This is globalism, this is internationalism, this is the will towards total empire and total world dominion. And that's what we've been discussing. So let's go ahead and get into another kind of eclectic episode because now we're at this point now where our learning has cultivated, where we've learned many new things. We've had time to process a lot of these episodes and go through them. We're looking at how the Concordat with the Vatican, the portents only point to one thing. So China was invented in 19... 
49, like the Chinese Communist Party, 1949. That was one year before 1948, right? So 1948, that was when Israel was created. And, and bizarrely, at, at the same time in Roswell, New Mexico, right? Roswell, New Mexico, that's where they, in 1948, in that time, had their the weird UFO landing. And then everyone was supposed to be a big cover-up, and they found the aluminum foil stuff, and the, and the alien was dying, the, 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 uh, the pilot, the alien pilot of the UFO, all these kind of myth, the mythology of the UFO generation was born in 1948, right? Yes. And that was the, around the same time that after that, Hollywood is going to buoy this entire concept within our minds with E.T. and Star Wars and Flight of the Navigator, Cocoon, remember? All those movies that introduced this idea of the alien world, the UFO, you know, the, the Martians or whatever. So these ideas were implanted in our minds early in the 70s and 80s. And everyone can say, well, of course, there has to be life out there because there's so many planets. There's got to be a galactic council like, and, uh, like Palpatine. And that's, that's what happens here. People nerd out because they've been taught to expect this idea. Of, uh, and so let's go back and we'll have to rewind and do some more episodes, but you have to remember that the jet engine was created by the Nazis when they were, they had a tremendous technological advantage over everyone else. Their engines, famous German motors and the jet engine, they created the V-10 the V uh, 10 rockets, the V rockets that uh, they, they started to bombard London with, and the V2, is that what it, what it was? And so ultimately they experimented with UFO technology. And then ultimately after the war, the CIA and the Soviet Union swoop in to collect all these, these really super intelligent scientists, right? So that's Project Paperclip. They're gonna scoop up all these German high, high Nazi, uh, Nazi command SS scientists and scoop them up and bring them back to work for the CIA. And so in 1949, we have the whole CIA conspiracy regarding Roswell. And then you have to see where this is all leading. Where, where is the progression of this all leading? When Hitler signed the Vatican Concordat, soon after he liquidated as many of the Jews, millions, millions and millions of Jews across Europe. So what is the, the Vatican's deal with the CCP gonna be about? I mean, I, I think that Israel, the state of Israel represents an ideological, philosophical threat to the CCP in the future. So I don't see why they wouldn't try to strike Israel. That's what you're dealing with. The dragon, the great red dragon in the east is a threat to, to Israel because Israel is controlling the market of internet security and internet technology in ways that the West, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of dependent and reliant on them in so many ways. And so they're our, our closest and tightest partner and they represent the power of, of democracy and a free people in that region and it, it it's a problem because that region cannot be a muslim stronghold and a muslim caliphate with, a, with an israeli state so the, the agitation with the palestinians this constant move towards armageddon is not going to slow down or cool off from here on out guys that's what we're dealing with all right so in this episode we're going to take a look at some random and correlating random and correlating information so let's take a look so much going on here. We're going to get into the voter fraud stuff later in the show. Big headline in media uh, this morning, Raheem Kassam, is that uh, they're in shock. Monmouth poll shows one-third of Americans, one-third of Americans, one-third of Americans, not Republicans, two-thirds of Republicans, one-third of all Americans believe that uh, Biden's uh, only president because of massive voter fraud. And as we told you, that's, that's the reverse of the drop in uh, Biden's approvals. And every day is going to continue as we pound through Georgia, we pound through Arizona, we're going to start pounding through uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and what, what do we say? Here's the theory of the case. The theory of the case is continue to pound, show receipts, 
right, show what exactly happened on November 3rd, 3 November, and Biden's approval ratings will drop. They'll get into the 40s. You'll get a four-handle in front of it, and then eventually you're going to get a three-handle in front of it, and there's not going to be Puerto Rico and Washington are not going to be staged. You're not going to have 50 judges on the Supreme Court. All the radical nature of all of this is going to stop like that the federalization of our elections is going to die today. Not because of Kristen Cinema, Kristen Cinema, and Joe Manchin. There's 15 other Democratic senators hiding in back of them. Everybody knows that. It's an open secret in this town. We can stop the program by focusing on 3 November. We can stop the program by focusing on 3 November. What do we say? Get to the bottom of 3 November, get to the bottom of Wuhan lab, and we've got massive news on that we'll turn to in one second. But I also want to remind everybody, in Pennsylvania, Wolf, the governor, because of his handling of COVID, but also because of his handling of the voter fraud, his approval ratings now, guess what? Magic number, 39%. Good things happen when these radical Democrats' approval ratings drop to the mid to low 40s to the high 30s. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do. We're going to be maniacally focused on it. And the, and the mainstream media is trying to bring up all the circus thing about, as we told you, the, the, the service in Italy is nonsense. The gun battle in Germany is nonsense. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but we're in the real world here of getting to the bottom of 3 November and what that means. And like I said, the constitutional issue, the firestorm of the Constitution, that's all to come. Do the day's work on the day it's appointed. That's what you got to do. We're going to have Peter Navarro here in a few minutes as co-host because I want to pivot now to really, uh, on the other thing, get to the bottom of the Wuhan lab situation. I'm so proud of, of my former editor-in-chief uh, of Breitbart London that Nigel Frosch says we would never have had Brexit if we did not have Breitbart London and we wouldn't have had Breitbart London as the powerhouse it was if we did not have Raheem Kassam as the fire-breathing editor that, that really tore through British media to become a platform for the Brexit movement, for the sovereignty movement, and was really rose to power because of, guess what, the migrant crisis of 2015 when the globalists led by Angela Merkel opened the doors to Europe to let the migrants in from, uh, from uh, the Middle East for the situation in Syria fed through by Turkey. And that changed the face of modern politics. It began the rise of the populist movement, and really the nationalist movement in, in Europe changed everything. Raheem Hassan was the forefront of that. He started National Pulse, and he brought in a couple of young reporters. And really, and I've said this time and time again, I, I consider myself a pretty good judge of horse flesh, right, in this area. And I said at the time, and this I didn't know she was a sophomore at the University of Chicago, and this was her side hustle, right, her side gig, Natalie Winters. Massive news yesterday, and ladies and gentlemen, this is how narratives are built, okay? And this is how you fight back. Peter Dasik got fired. The headline, do we have the, 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 the home screen from the Daily Mail yesterday? Because the home the homepage screen asked, Dasik gets fired. The, the denier, they fired the denier. And they caught, they, the only reason all his lies and misrepresentations, remember, Dasik's just the first, right? But they served up. To the gods of war, they served up a human sacrifice, not going to be good enough. But they served up, and the reason they served it up is Natalie Winters and Raheem Kassam and the National Polls and people. I, got, I can't be proud of you too. Obviously, we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to talk about what we're doing going forward. But first, walk us through how we got to a place that Peter Dasik, who was, who was lionized by global media, lionized, and by the way, Leslie Stahl, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should come, Leslie Stahl, in 60 Minutes. You guys are a group of clowns and buffoons. Leslie Stahl, the great Leslie Stahl, should come, and you should follow uh, Natalie Winters around for a day or two 
and your production staff, the 200 people you got on the staff over there, you should come around and follow her and actually sit there and learn something. Learn what an investigative report is about. That interview you gave with Dasik, and boy, we got to play the next couple of days, that was embarrassing. You were like a junior high school kid late with their term paper that had to, you know, go ask a couple of stupid questions, kind of sit there and bat those eyes. You're a buffoon. You had a global stage to rip this guy's face off on just the facts. You gave him a pass and actually per, uh, uh, perpetuated this, right? Also, the things these global corporate, corporate media's got to worry about, lawyer up. The class action suits and the class action suit lawyers, they're already worried. They're beavering away right now. The liabilities you guys have at CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and all of this, is going to be, CBS is going to be massive. Not just the blood on your hands for suppressing this information, but because I know that doesn't matter. You don't care about people. But more importantly, the liabilities. And it's all coming. And, and people say, oh, Bannon, you're just crazy. Just more talk. Peter Dasik has been fired. I want to turn now over to uh, Raheem Kassam, Natalie Winters. Guys, take it. Well, the first thing I want to do is say, look at the date today. It's a day before the five-year oh, anniversary. Oh, tomorrow's the five-year anniversary. We have to have our special tomorrow. Of June the 23rd, 2016, when wow. we, you know, united with one voice, decided to leave the European Union. And look at the look at the trajectory of the world since then, and, and the fallout since that. Obviously, you had President Trump, and we heard from President Trump at the beginning of the show, um, but really what's more important is, is you've had this rise of, I mean, I'll call it what I really tr truly believe it is. Um, it's not just a bureaucratic class. It's an evil class. It's a class of people who don't believe that. What did we talk about yesterday? I said, uh, Fauci goes on that podcast. He says, I had to lie because people would have been buying up the masks. It's this, it's this class of people who really don't understand the Americans. expert class, the manager. They hate class. Americans. They underestimate Americans. They, they, it's the same people as, as sit in the European Union. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say it's just Americans. They hate right. working class and middle yeah. class people. They think that they're the betters, yeah. and you're just a bunch of, uh, you know, just a bunch of drones, right? Right. But the Fauci's and the Dashiks of the world, I mean, despite Dashik coming from Wolverhampton or where we came from, is the is these are the American equivalents of the European commissioners, right? These are the people who 100%. think that the decisions need to be taken as far away as possible from the ordinary man, from the common man, from the working class man, from the family unit. Um, and look at the fallout we're seeing as a result. Natalie, you know, full credit to you for, you know, honing in on these people and, real, and, and seeing them for who they are and relentlessly going through, you know, we don't do opinionizing on this no. stuff. It's all fact. It's all matter of record. How can, this is what, how, how uh, real quickly for in a minute or two, tell the audience, Raheem's the editor, but when he puts you on a topic, how do you get down, walk through what all the hours and hours, and this is for young people, want to come in and be rock stars, want to talk in front of the mic and get opinions. doesn't matter. Nobody cares about what your opinion is. What they care about is the work. Talk about the work. How did you actually give it all away? Because remember, <laughs> yeah. we've got that program we're starting. <laughs> well, I really think it's all about pattern recognition. And what I mean by that is there are these individuals, whether it's Peter Doshak, Anthony Fauci, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, who have been in business with the Chinese Communist Party in various forms, whether it's taking research grants from them, whether it's serving as consultants for companies that are effectively state-owned enterprises and often arms of the Chinese Communist Party's People's Liberation Army. I'm singling out Jeffrey Sachs there who's a former consultant for Huawei. But what's really interesting is that whether the news cycle is covering, you know, President Trump's trade war, the origins of COVID-19, uh, 
anything. These people always seem to find a voice in the mainstream media, find a voice on Chinese Communist Party-run media outlets, and they're consistently peddling the narratives of the Chinese Communist Party. So it's really easy to discern, because even though the mainstream media presents them as these kind of neutral arbiters of fact, or as the Lancet and the World Health Organization would tell you, right, Peter Doshak certainly has no conflicts of interest, although as of yesterday, we know that's no longer the case. Uh, that, that's not true. That's not the case. And I think what Raheem said is so correct in that this global elite, whether it's you know epitomized by Anthony Fauci, Jeffrey Sachs, Peter Doshak, the reason why they defend the Chinese Communist Party so hard, especially now with the origins of COVID-19, is because they know that the economic model that they want, whether it's authoritarian state capitalism, it doesn't exist without, A, the Chinese Communist Party being in power, but more importantly, the Lao Beijing, the hardworking people of China, uh, if they don't have support or if they don't have the Chinese Communist Party over, over them, condemning them to slave labor, that the economic model that Jeffrey Sachs and Anthony Fauci and these globalist elites have pushed for years won't happen and it can't happen. So you can see how hard hitting and how serious this reporting is coming out. And you have to understand the power of the press here in the United States that all these huge uh, mega corporations, these you know enormous um, Washington Post or whatever. I mean, these big companies are, media companies are organs to propagate other people's ideas. And everyone's known that since Rosebud, right? Everybody knows this. I mean, since Hirsch wanted to, saying that right? Or wanted to um, have so much influence over Hollywood. Yeah. So point is, is that, look, for these guys to basically just be a, a shoestring budget, which I respect that, you know, being a podcast of just a few people and most of the people that are involved with it don't really want to spend very much time doing any work, you know, and, and they don't really want to come on and, and help out, you know, but I don't really know how this works, but, you know, we're, but they're all signed on with wholehearted support, you know, even though they don't have the time to really kind of get involved sometimes, it's, it's really annoying. And anyway, so we're doing the, the podcast regardless, you know, and they are and getting whatever support we can from our team here. But I can, I can just see National Pulse over there. They're going through the documents. They're looking. They're being. They're doing the work. They're, they're doing the research, media, R&D. So we're, they're, they're going to go and develop these stories that no one else has the courage, the wherewithal. I mean, all these so-called journalists in, that you can see on TV that are being offered to us publicly just as an offering in the airport when you're standing in line everywhere you go just this is the channel this is the news pundit they're talking to you they're telling you it right so the, i mean that information is completely curated bullshit and just propaganda organ that's that's really what it is so to find out really factual information about who actually was involved in developing and creating this lab grown weapon was dr fauci and Peter Daszak and, and, and others that are going to fall. These heads are going to roll, which is amazing because, you know, in their little conspiracy, no one can say they were a conspiracy. In their little conspiracy, they had everyone all, you know, worried and locked up and ready to protect each other and lie. But there's the rest of the world. There's the, the Natalie winners and Raheem Kassams of the world who are going to really just only be interested like a dog with a bone getting to the bottom of the matter. And that's what you're dealing with here. We're dealing with people that have really just, man, we owe them such a, a debt. I'm going to go on there. Maybe I'll hear Raheem say, you know, my name because I'll be a supporter too. And that's what it's all about. You know, we have to put our, you know, the, you know, we have to demonetize. We have to demonetize YouTube. 
we have to demonetize Facebook and Google and, and New York Times. We, we have to monetize the National Pulse. And I'm trying to I'm trying to scrape together more money. I never donated money in my life, but I'm going to give money to these this, the, the Trump Jr. the Trump family the, the Trump president. I just love it. I love the idea of a new kind of elite, a new uh, family line that steps in to, to have the courage to lead the American people and just the old conventional ways of doing business where America takes the lead and advances and takes, takes us to the moon, takes us to Mars, takes us to the next level, you know, America being a great country. I, I have no problem with that. I don't, I don't feel like we need to hit the brakes and let China begin to take and eat our lunch. And I mean, these other people are crazy. So they go over there. You heard it. You heard Natalie Winters. I mean, listen to it again. And I'll add the link here on the podcast. But if you just look carefully, the whole entire record of the fact that people within the, the government paid a Chinese lab to create this virus, which apparently Fauci pulled the trigger on it and and executed without the Trump administration knowing. So can you imagine the way that locks in, a way that connects with this election, all the, the, the election rules and election laws that got changed? This is a huge and total and complete subversion of our democracy because they wanted to, to decide the outcome. They wanted to control the winner. They wanted to, you know, they wanted ultimately to be able to pick the winner of this. That's why you see Facebook and Zuckerberg money getting involved. These people must be mad. But of course, look at the Justice Department today. They're going to come after me as a white supremacist and a, and a racist and a hater because because they can't defend America against the Chinese Communist Party and their missiles and, and, and Russian missile technology. But they can come and do the work of the Chinese Communist Party and the Russian Bolshevik throwbacks and come and attack the breadwinners, the, the actual fathers who are in the homes. We have fathers in the homes taking care of their children, and they're going to make sure that they attack them. And I mean, and it's an amazing and astonishing persecution of people who have less melanin in their skin, people who are more light complexion. I like pallid, pallid skinned. I like that. That's cool. And the simple fact is, is that we. The terms black and white are totally terms of invidious and destructive separation. These are terms of conflict, terms of strife, and terms of confusion and opposing forces. And it's, like we said, black and white magic. We went through the whole thing. Listen to the episodes, guys. We already discussed that black and white are not terms that apply to people or to racial features or ethnic backgrounds or cultural heritage, which are the things that people really derive from their their national ancestry, their family background, right? The Navajo Nation. We were watching a movie. I think it's beautiful. I hope that they are able to keep their family lines and traditions and their their, their heritage and, and their national heritage because that's what a nation is. It doesn't necessarily have to do with borders or uh, policies with other countries. It has to do with the, the delicate, unique language and mores and, and ultimately they have the ability to use modern technology to use the modern culture to to learn more but they get to keep what's most unique about themselves and there's many communities all around the world many communities in Russia 
people who are much like the people that we might think of as Eskimos in, up in, in Alaska, people who have various ways of living in their habitat, in their environments, they've adapted to over the course of millennia. Ways of hunting seals, you know, you know, I'm, I'm right now I'm driving my wife's Infinity because my, uh, my SUV is in the shop. I don't know how she even, I'm not allowed to drive this, but I had to go to work and I have to get my, my huge shift in, my 12 hour shift, so I'm allowed to drive her G37. See, that's where I'm at. And I don't call that white privilege because that's a stupid thing. There is no such thing as white privilege. You mean like, is it like Anglo, uh, European, descendant American privilege? Maybe. Uh, that's stupid. That's that's irrational and erroneous too. It's not that. But what I have is very easy to define. I have American privilege. Because if you're an American and you live in this country, you have the opportunity to start from nothing and to be able to help your wife pay or mostly pay off yourself a G37, an Infinity. You ever drive one of those? You should try it. It's remarkable. It's astonishing how amazing that they can design this machine. Okay. There's other people in the world that might never even get a chance to ride in a car alone. Maybe they got to ride on the tailgate for a while or got driven back and forth to a job uh, in, 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 the, in the bed of the pickup. Didn't even get to get inside the truck, the vehicle. Didn't have AC anyway. I mean, these are different parts of the world. I mean, imagine. We're, we're educated in America. You can It, it gives your imagination the myriad ability to place other times and places what other people are doing right now to, to survive what they're doing in their different unique heritages and their unique traditions in Africa, in the Sudan. People are there, they're thriving, they're surviving, they know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I know how to drive my wife's G37 and, 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 I, and I'm a commercial electrician. I'm, I'm like highly educated, uh, highly talented. You see what I'm saying? So I'm a technical worker or whatever. And you know, I'm, I'm just taking my place here in the world. I'm relying on the value of my Federal Reserve notes, which are devaluating before our eyes as the prices skyrocket because of this. It was going to happen. They can bring, they can blame, but even Trump, I mean, he did what every president before him did, which is just raise up the debt even more, borrow even more money, take us even farther in to the hole of borrowed debt because we're not trading our own notes because we're not trading our own money. We're not trading our own currency. We're not trading our own value that's represented by that money. The money that we're trading is Federal Reserve note money. And Federal Reserve notes, even though it sounds governmental, and we've been, you've been through this, you're educated, you know this. The Federal Reserve system is not a part of our government. It's a separate banking corporation, a private interest, who has provided America with all the, the debt notes and all, all the all the borrowed credit that we would possibly need printed out on our money press. But we, it's a huge credit card, guys. It's not our money. So let that sink in. You need to put your money in things that retain value. Can you buy a Picasso? Because what will happen is the Picasso will go up in value because the Federal Reserve notes you took to buy it are going to collapse. It's going to be a terrible market correction. It's a huge bubble. That's what it's all about. So that's why we're out in the country. We're looking at this how to put our little nug, nug 
nugget of, uh, of value that we can get together and put it into like some farmland. That's what we're going to do. We're going to farm. We're going to do chicken farm. We're going to, you know, we're going to have right there at our disposal the resources we need to at least try to survive. But if you rely on a debit card and a Publix, it's not looking good for you. Just saying. And I don't want to like double guess, second guess, but like I said, we um, we're in a position now to listen to these signs and to pay attention to what's happening here. The federal government, these people, these these Fauci's, these Jesuit operatives or whatever, whatever the hell is going on, they don't have any interest in being held accountable. And it makes me think that there's more programmed New World Order control, globalist lockdown stuff coming. So let's take a listen. We have to take a listen to their go-to reference that we, we rely on so many times and that is geopolitics and empire we're going to listen to them have some discussion here about this exact topic yeah yeah and so let's let's get into that series uh, that you've done on the green climate uh lockdowns it's it's even appeared on on prominent and, and popular alternative uh media independent media channels who have showed it uh, as well and so you know for people that have been paying attention this has always been the plan uh, of the elites regarding this green agenda i taught a course environment and international relations at university and you go back decades you know to the 1980s 70s 1960s and, and, and they're they're talking about it right this, this has been in the cards for a long time and we've finally gotten to the point where they're implementing it now or they're trying to implement it uh, they um and and uh, it seems that COVID lockdowns have served as the training wheels for what is to come. And you know, in the past few years, we've been seeing an increasing number of op-ed publications and think tank reports openly suggesting the need for climate lockdowns. And yeah. I, I would want to reference the past guest that I had on. He's really great, C.J. Hopkins, who kind of this is obvious, but no one has mentioned this. He said that lockdown is a term specifically meant only for prisoners in a prison. And so it seems our govern governments are openly flaunting in our faces that we have all effectively become their prisoners. And you know, it's kind of like you've mentioned deplatforming. It seems deplatforming serves the function of sending a prisoner into solitary confinement. So, you know, take us away. Where, where would you start when talking climate lockdowns? I think that's that's a very interesting point. That the idea of the lockdown, I would almost say, is it's almost more of a ransom situation. Where I don't think the lockdown is the goal. It's the threat and that if we did what they wanted uh, we could get out of it it's the it's the promise of freedom it's not that we're just being punished you know with lockdowns because they they really want to control everything that much it's that and and the video that went viral kind of explained the logic behind that um, I found an article on the World Business Council of sustainable development website, which is not a very well-known, it seems, but it was talking about how uh, the climate lockdown is going to serve as a as, as basically a cudgel, a threat to make sure that capitalism is it, basically the great reset. That's the easiest way to talk about it. The, the Great Reset needs to happen or else you get climate lockdowns. And what it says, like right here in the article, it says, under a climate lockdown, governments would limit private vehicle use, 
so you don't get to drive your own car. Ban consumption of red meat, which surprises a lot of people. Uh, impose extreme energy-saving measures, which could mean anything. It could mean just cutting your electricity entirely. And fossil fuel companies would have to stop drilling. That's how extreme they're talking about a climate lockdown. If that happens, you can expect to see those things. And that's why it went viral. That's why it's shocking a lot of people is the idea that we could go from the COVID lockdowns, which people already consider to be, you know, world changing. We're going to remember this the rest of our lives. We lived through this terrible thing to not being able to eat red meat by government dictatorship. Like not just health experts advise you to do so. It's going to be banned. Private vehicle use is going to be banned. Uh, fossil fuel companies, oil industry just drying up overnight, not being allowed to drill. It's such an insane proposition. Then the last part of this paragraph on this article says, to avoid such a scenario, we must overhaul our economic structures and do capitalism differently. And capitalism is underlined there to a, uh, a hyperlink to a different article that this person wrote for The Guardian. Uh, saying that COVID-19 crisis is a chance to do capitalism differently. And the woman that wrote that is Mariana Mazzucato, uh, who, again, most people wouldn't have heard of, but she is the chair of the World Health Organization's Council on the Economics of Health for All. So that's a big mouthful, but she's the actual chair of a World Health Organization Council. So she's not just a random intellectual or academic. Uh, she's... Uh, the leader of several different things, different councils in Sweden, South Africa, Argentina, Norway. Uh, she's part of all these advisory councils. And so, yeah, she, she has a lot of weight, and that's why she's being hosted on this World Business Council of Sustainable Development. All the major, even though they're talking about how they've shut down the oil industry, uh, BP and all the major oil companies are part of this DuPont, Dow. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's what surprised me is that it seemed like this was an anti-oil company that wants to reinvent capitalism, but all of the biggest corporations are part of it, and they endorse this view somehow. So uh, how do you wrap your head around that? Like, what kind of... What kind of collaboration or partnership could this possibly be where they themselves are saying we need to reinvent capitalism or else we're going to have these climate lockdowns, this dark ages, neo-feudalist nightmare? Uh, that to me was what sort of rang the bell and I said I had to try to tell people about this particular agenda because it seems to eclipse everything that's happening right now if it does come to pass. And and as as you mentioned, like we we can look at each of those points, like the the, the no red meat, the tra uh, transportation, and for people that aren't paying attention, this is happening in real time. Like I'm seeing it, feeling it, and experiencing it uh, myself. And uh, you know, I can give some uh, examples. For example, you know, as you said, the green agenda literally wants us to live like medieval serfs. You know, they mm -hmm. they, they want to ban uh, mobility. Uh, the use of private vehicles, limit our energy resource use, take away red meat. And so, you know, using food as an example, but monopolists like Bill Gates are buying up all of the agricultural infrastructure, you know, like farms and right. trains. This has been in the news in the last few months. He's now the largest, like, agricultural landowner, uh, Bill Gates, in the U.S. He just bought the, the biggest stake in this Canadian 
railway, which I'm pretty sure there, sure there there are plans. This is again reported. People can check it out to connect the, the Canada, U.S., and Mexico through through the rail, and they own all of the GMO food, and they're using the pretense of you know viruses everywhere to call many different kinds of animals. It's all over the news now, all, all over the planet. You know, um, you're you're hearing all these different types of uh, avian flus, bird flus, and they're calling millions and millions of, of chickens and other sorts of animals. Minks, that we, things like that. Things that I wouldn't even have guessed were being farmed. Yeah, it's bizarre to see the the level of which they're cracking down. But it obviously, see, this is where it gets into the narrative side. The narrative that everybody is being subjected to is pandemic, and that's a smokescreen for all of the much deeper uh, underlying structural uh, sabotage. Really, is what is what's going on? Is that all of the the underpinnings of what we consider to be normal? Are being sabotaged while we're being aggressively disrupted by a pandemic lockdown and, and all of that rhetoric, the vaccine thing, all of that kind of stuff. So while people are being just overwhelmed by fear mongering on an issue that really it is serious and, and especially, you know, well, to what's happening with vaccines and, and the fight over that is serious, but it's also obscuring a lot of even more more dangerous rhetoric about what happens next as the pandemic lockdowns shift into a climate lockdown. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I believe it was Project Veritas was talking to a CNN reporter, who, and this might have been back in like January already, uh, saying that people are getting tired of the pandemic it's not getting that good of ratings. And so they predicted already that they were going to shift the climate after the pandemic and that that was, they could pivot to that and they could keep that going for as long as they wanted. And so right now, the, what, uh, from what I'm seeing, from what I'm seeing reported is essentially engineered famines being created as we speak and food shortages that are going to skyrocket the price of things, uh, put a lot of farmers out of business and yeah then every time a farmer goes out of business their land gets sold somebody like bill gates can come in take it over it's that squeezing them out of the market taking over agriculture and ranching and meat production and all of that all in the name of this green movement that is just sort of this all-consuming force right now but not in the narrative not in people's minds it's a very harmless environmental things still, and especially in young people, they don't realize how sinister and ambitious the green movement actually is. So, where is this all leading to? We have to just be analytical, because oh, the, the framing of these different news articles and, and video clips, and the, this, the dialogue, the, these discussions, lectures, this information it's informing you it's forming you within it's forming within you a new way of understanding and seeing the world but you know with more capacity more pixels more pixelation more dynamic color in the historical outlook with which you see yourself your time and place america is in a revolutionary state just always has been it's built to be a turning 
and revolving wheel of change. So it's it's enduring. So you know these these throwbacks, these Antifa people out there in Portland who attack the federal building, and the the, tr- the Trump flag people who went in the Capitol who were invited in by the police and who were who were used by the QAnon the Q, the, the Q the Q conspiracy was used to amp these people up and to set them into motion regarding their desire to petition and, and redress the their, their Congress for different grievances. And the idea that it would be staged and you know, created to be the, become this insurrection and I think they pictured it more that they, the QAnon gun-wielding nuts would come out and march through with their AR-15s, but nothing like that happened. So you have to realize that the deep state is trying to inoculate themselves, trying to pretend to be a legitimate de facto government, and really... It's overthrown the de jure First Amendment constitutional government that we we convened, you and I convened with enumerated limited powers. That's it's just going completely overboard. Now the FBI is being weaponized, and you heard the uh, over there the State Department, Mayor Merrick, whatever Obama wanted to put him on the Supreme Court, so he dodged a bullet right there. But now he's up there. They're, they're going to white white national white supremacist, you know, assault assault weapon, this thing, until until it's just become a total issue. And they're going to creep up with legislation until the, the American people react because they want to keep their freedoms and liberties intact. And when they react, they'll point at those people, just the public at large, and they'll be the insurrectionists. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a quagmire, a complex catch-22. Remember the old X-22 report? <laughs> Q. Yeah, we had we had to take a close look at that, and I was always suspicious of it. I mean, they, they were... It was... Yeah, just, we, won't, we won't revisit it. But in any case, we have to take a look at how responsible is the FBI in planting assets and agents and witnesses and people that they were using for their own purposes for court, for testimony reasons. How many of these people were there embedded before the riot that took place at the Capitol or the insurrection or what have you? Apparently from the information that's going to come out, Christopher Ray and the FBI and other who knows what apparatus has had many, many people at the Trump rally and at the insurrection. And so many so that many of their own people, their own witnesses, their own, you know, snitches, right? Their snitches were wearing the Trump flags and running all throughout there at a high ratio. So some of the arrests were would have 12 or 15 people being arrested and five or six or seven of them being FBI snitches. So you can see the dilemma. We are 
the Obama left, the Antifa radicals, the Soros-funded critical race theory, the thing that's being pumped into the military. It's causing destruction within the ranks. It's causing problems such that they can't have cohesion among their ranks. They can't have unit cohesion because they, you know, they have the transgender, the uh, the whole gay agenda being, you know, unfurled in the military. So men, you know, you have to be tucked into the the foxhole with, and who you have to shower with, and are maybe men who are trying to like peek at you in the shower because they're sexually attracted to you. It's confusion now. It just seeds a whole level of confusion within the ranks, so that the brotherhood, the camaraderie, the uh, the band of brothers, that kind of warrior fraternity that takes place within the military ranks is muted, stunted, and deformed because of the perversion that they're letting in. It's perversion. It's perverted. It's sexually perverted. You know, there should just be some pinup girls. Right? That's what it should be. There should be some men. They should be in... And they should be cussing, playing cards, and there should be a pinup girl, and that's it. So, and and also in the military with the critical race theory, now you have the whole issue of looking over and and who's the commander and who what race are they and who's being promoted and what race are they and how many lieutenant, colonel, commander, general, lieutenant, brigadiers you have that uh, are black and which ones are white and who commands who. It's, it's completely. In China, they don't have this problem. They look over and they see their commander or their subordinate. They just see another Chinese guy. There's no black guys or white guys or Latinos or Latinx or whatever. They don't have this confusion. Same within Russia. Just there's Russians. Total. They don't let homosexuals in the military in Russia. It just it doesn't work. It's not about homosexuals. It's really just about the military functions better, and all the men are men. They're, not, they're preoccupied with the things that all the other men in the, in the unit are preoccupied with. And that's it. That's how you have one mind, one you know, unitary command structure. You can't have that. You can't have it any other way, guys. I and mean, there's no other way to say it. That's why you're going to see some of these individuals within the military coming out. And, and you know, it, is, it's, 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 it must have created this, this uh, hair-pulling, you know, teeth gnashing issue in the Pentagon so it's not, it's not an issue out where I live we're good with it, we have everything straight so we have to look at the big picture here guys, it looks like that Fauci and da- Pete Daszak were designing you know, we're at a point in history where you can just fund your own designer illness your own de- designer contagion within the lab and that's what happened. They used federal money. And I feel, I mean, Donald Trump, I mean, a lot of stuff happened under his watch. The whole, like, you know, COVID epidemic and the whole response with the, the, the vaccines. The vaccines are fucking horrible. And no one can say that. But you'll get banned. Right? You'll get banned if you say that how bad the, the vaccines are. They're terrible. You'll get banned. So, your own, it's better if you just take, take your own luck with it your best, you know, or maybe with the zinc and the ivermectin or just, you know what I mean? Just if you're older or if you have, if you know, if you're a little bit overweight or just have those kind of concerns, I think you're better off just taking the, uh, what Donald Trump said, (laughs) chloroquine, something, right? 
so that's where we're at, guys. I mean, at this point, I think that everyone's on vacation right now. I see them rolling around with their campers. And everyone is, you know, just watching the, the value of their money dissolve. It's like the Weimar Republic. One of these, uh, <laughs> I've been so disorganized recently. I've been try- I do try to put together really good episodes for you guys. But recently it's been a little bit hectic. So now I have to just show you what I've been listening to. And, and it really becomes asymmetrical. Sometimes one, one thing doesn't lead neatly to the next clue. Sometimes... The, the, the people's perspectives on things are very wide. The variances between people's life experiences and world travels and the things they've seen are very, you know. I always think I can get back to these episodes. And I try to remember where, you know, where these parts are at, where I can, I can use the reference point of other intellectuals and other, you know, people that I've read and to just make a point out of what they're saying to add to educate and teach us more about the wider picture where they're moving us to so that's what I'm attempting to do here I just that's why I'm working hard to just make sure that we can see it coming and know how to, to respond I mean my wife lately has been just filling up water jugs we have really good spring water and she's been filling up the jugs and just using you know just instead of throwing away empty containers of um and punch or whatever, you know. She'll clean them out and she'll fill them up with water and then she'll see she's just storing the water. She's storing them because sometimes you never know what's gonna happen. Man. It's just, you have to just think about any any given moment. It's like a game of musical chairs. The music is gonna stop and you have to be able to know that you're gonna get a chair and you're gonna be able to, you know, keep moving forward. This money, just you gotta look at look at over and over again. Institute. I mean, if you look at, if you listen to anything that's going on out there, Peter Schiff. I mean, he is just right on. I mean, the timing of it—it's a slow cooking thing. It's a slow bake. So, as the pressure continues to tighten, by the time you know you try to really make an effort to save yourselves or get those final resources that are so necessary we're all going to find out no matter how rich we are you know the, the, the extent to which we can survive a total downturn a total collapse a total deflation inflation spiraling who's going to be able to employ people when no one can afford you it's eight dollars a gallon of gas and you know that's that, those are the kind of threats that this Biden administration puts puts us all on it's the danger that we're all under
European Union represents the will of the imperial proclivities of, of, of Rome, who has organized its papal states once again after Mussolini, after the Lateran Agreement, get back their, some of their papal power, and they get back their, their you know, 140-acre, whatever it is, uh, Vatican State there that's now a nation and a kingdom and a country and a state, all in its own, all within its own 150-acre lot there. That power structure that uses Italy to wield influence within the international community. So you can even imagine that in the United Nations, Italy has its own Italy seat, the seat of Italy. It has its own Vatican seat of the Holy See. And then it really has the united power of the European Union. So all the European Union delegates are really combined into one fist, one you know, conglomerate within the United Nations really use the euro and the euro has the Pope's face on it, right? So it gets you a euro coin, has the Pope's face right on there. So that just tells you who's in charge. And the United Nations represents the will to unite the nations for the little seat. There's a little seat at the whole, at the, you know, that has a, a, ta- a seat at the table like all the other big nations. And that little nation Wears that little pointy hat, that guy. His pretensions to becoming the governor of the world. So we're going to listen to some of a, kind of an eclectic mix today of what I listen to and how you know. And I don't really, I didn't have, like I said, have as much time. So, but I do try to keep up. I do try to listen to as much as I'm able to, and to convey some of those ideas to you so that you can look and see like I said right now it's, it's time to buy silver and gold if you're if you're up there where you can just buy a gold coin every every week or every month you should do it and um, you should secure that and you should think about what it takes to secure that hard money around you and you should secure yourself and you should just you know like I said hunker down because you know it's going to be hard to forward when you see the price of lumber. These are just artificial, just like the the, the, the great, the, the big stock crash that's coming. It reminds me of 1929. JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the president who was murdered and assassinated. He was, his father, Joseph P. Kennedy, was the big, hugely wealthy, you know, at that time, maybe a billionaire even, tycoon. Super wealthy tycoon in the 1920s who called in the, uh, short, uh, whatever they call it, right? That's, he was one of the ones who precipitated the Great Depression. And then, of course, FDR comes in and uses that huge economic hole to his advantage to do all the things that they did. So they introduced many things at that time during that Great Depression, during the, you know, 1929, 30, 31, up to 33, during the, that's when we're going to get him to deal with, have to deal with Hitler in World War II. During that time, they take such great advantage of the United States, they introduce social security numbers. Now you have to have a social security card. You have to have a birth certificate, okay? Because they have to understand who they're taxing. They have to enumerate all the people. They have to give them each a tag number. 
the serial code because now they, they have to be traded in commerce. Okay? That's what's happening. Because, because of that Great Depression, we were totally bankrupt. There was nothing else left. There was no land left. There was nothing else left to trade except for biological property. So that's why you would have the free people have to become Social Security numbered federal citizens of the new Washington power structure. Birth certificates, death certificates, tax ID numbers, social security numbers, all these different forms of identification. So when you were born, this is just for the, uh, the common folks. You know, so if you're really wealthy and um, you're one of the elite, you're, if you're born, you don't go to the hospital. I mean, come on. You have a room made up in your in estates in one of your mansions, and you have the, the nurses and the, the you know the doctors come in, and you pay them. You have a wonderful child, and you send them away, and the child grows up, and you don't get them stamped and numbered and labeled and social security numbered and get their little foot stamped in ink. That's property. They're taking their property and they're they're, they're numbering it and they're and they're fitting it with a serial codification, a system of codification by which they count and enumerate products. That's what they started doing. Babies. So that's a, well, social security number is so helpful. No, it's, it's not helpful. And this is how they started taxing people. This is where the IRS comes in. They couldn't put the IRS in the United States. It's just illegal. They had to put it in Puerto Rico. That's, you know, that's where the IRS is set up. It's set up offshore. So the, and, and the whole offshore system is a system of, of admiralty, offshore bankings. They're going a couple miles offshore, international waters. Now the law changes, right? You got a yacht, you pop over to international waters. United States doesn't bother you anymore, guys. We're not, we're not we're not on that level. We don't have a G6. We don't fly to our chateau in France. We don't get it. You know, so we're all numbered. We're all social security, federal citizen slaves. You just don't understand how it works. But they're, they use, they they built on it. They built this system of IDs, the driver's license. You know, a driver. They used to license drivers. You know what a driver was? A driver was somebody who ride his horse. Crack his whip like a cracker. Remember that's what the old Southern cracker was. You crack the whip. You crack the whip because you're driving your herd. You're driving your steers. You're ranging them across the land. You're moving them from Oklahoma to Missouri or whatever to take them to the market, right? You're driving your steers. It used to be just open land. So if you knew the pathway, you could just drive your steers through the range. And if you wanted to cross through these different territories, you had to have a driver license at some point, right? And they built on that. They just built on it and built on it. Now, now, you're not a driver, but you're moving with a motor vehicle. You're moving. You're not driving like, I'm going to go drive. You're, what does that mean? You're going to drive some steers? You're going to herd some cattle? You don't even know what driving means. This is the words. This is the way the system is built. So you don't really need a driver's license to move, to get out. And you buy a vehicle and you want to move around place to place freely. Like you want to just take a walk down the sidewalk. Eventually, will you have to have a walker's license to just walk down the sidewalk? So you're in your vehicle, you're moving, but you have to be licensed and permitted. You have to, be perm you have to get a gun permit. They permit you. You have to go to them to see if they permit you. They say, we permit you, and now you're good. Oh, I'm good. I got permitted. Did? They permitted you? Well, good for you. Hey, man, you just, that's the, so, what if they don't permit you? Who, who, where did your Second Amendment right go if they don't permit you? Well, it got taken because it did? Because they permit you now? They license your pet. You have to get a pet license. License, bro. Social security shit is bullshit. The whole system of... And, and ultimately, you can see, well, well, there's nothing you can do, but there'll become a point where you have to submit to it and you'll have to move towards whether you're going to take this system of identification or not. And so you have to build for yourself a time and place, a capacity, ability to guard, and ability to just take care of your own self. 
because this whole thing is going to come to a head. And um, it reminds me of the time of the Lord, you know, when he was born, because it was really hard for them to ever discredit the time of, of Yeshua, of, of Jesus Christ when he was born, because it was a time when Caesar called for there to be a census. So they're going to do a census of all the people and count everyone in their new dominion. Because now, just shortly before that, I think we're on Tiberius, but just, just a few, you know, 10 to 12 years before that, Julius Caesar had just taken over the entire republic. It's as if Donald Trump storms into the, the capital with, a, with, a, with an army and just takes over and starts issuing commands. That's what happened with Julius Caesar in the Senate. And ultimately, they did kill him, but Augustus takes over. And then somebody takes over after them. And we get to this point where in, in, the, in this tyranny, this progression and the series of tyranny, you know, serial tyranny here, where Caesar decides he's going to command for there to be a census. Everyone must go to the place where they were born and be registered and counted and taxed. So in this flight, in this stampede, in this madness of this new imperium, in this new, the wake of this new dictatorship and this new conglomerate of imperial power, so that all these different groups, all these different uh, of, of fiefdoms and different satrapies, different principalities that were controlled by Rome, could be governed, taxed, defended, and, and, and correctly governed through the intelligent leadership and centralized power, the universal dominion that they were trying to set up there in Rome. So, ultimately, Jesus... Mary and Joseph, Jesus not being born yet, but being, you know, his mother just suddenly being overshadowed and becoming and, and being pregnant, even though they weren't married yet. It must have been a marvelous and an amazing event to have taken place, where suddenly the Lord is going to be born into the world. And they had to return to Bethlehem. They had to go back to be counted. And it's in this, this mayhem when King Herod attempts to kill Jesus Christ. So these events... King Herod going to Rome, the Romans coming to deal with King Herod, him being their puppet in there in Judea, the attempt to, the prophecy, the attempt to kill Jesus Christ, there, Mary and, and Joseph flee to, to Egypt to be out of sight, to disappear and hide. All these events are not things that can be hidden from history. And then when Jesus is a man, he reappears in the historical stage. Pontius Pilate is the governor. And all these events, all these histories, all these different discussions are, are recorded by Pliny and, and, and Josephus, different historians of the era record these events, describing Jesus Christ, that, that you know, people widely maybe thought that he was a magician or a sorcerer. So those are the kind of, that's the affectation that, that their pagan minds, um, you know, with, with which they can understand the kind of stories and, and the events surrounding this person's life. So when he was suddenly killed on a Roman cross, the whole history and the whole power and, and unstoppable progression of Christianity would, would begin to take place and that would be the end of the Roman Empire but it also would begin be, be the beginning of the Antichrist power which would take on the old Roman pagan system and would ultimately use it as a way of manipulating and controlling the imperium of government power the, the, the need for people to carry on their pagan customs the superstitious rites, their pagan holidays, those all all things that need to be taxed, need to be orchestrated, need to be conducted. The ritual priestcraft, the pagan priestcraft of Rome didn't go away. 
because of the advent of Jesus Christ, they simply just used it as a facade and like a, like a wolf in sheep's clothing to masquerade before the world as if they had the pontifical authority of heaven, right? But the entire dominion, the entire universal empire that the Pope controls today is the constituent imperial throne that was established by Caesar. All right, so let's listen to some more of these fascinating discussions here. That interesting discussion happens to be the original subject that I was talking about before I got on that like crazy tangent. And we were discussing how that it seemed like the FBI had a lot of assets building up towards this uh, insurrection on January 6th. Was it an FBI-created insurrection? Were there uh, people who were assets and working for the FBI who were crucial in getting certain QAnon radicals amped up and pushing them and kind of setting them up to be this white supremacist radical insurrection that they kind of put on the headlines. So let's take a listen to Dinesh D'Souza. He has a fascinating outlook. There is a bombshell article in uh, Revolver News, which is becoming a very important investigative journalism site. Um, and uh, in this article, uh, we get for the first time a, a case, an argument uh, for why uh, January 6th might have been, might have been, an FBI setup might have been, in fact, a sort of deep state operation. Um, and I'm delighted to have um, Dr. Darren Beatty, uh, the founder of Revolver News, uh, join me on the podcast to yeah. talk about it. Darren, welcome and thank you for coming on board. Uh, in this article, uh, you begin with a question that Amy Klobuchar put to uh, FBI Director Christopher Ray, And the question, as I understand it, was something to the effect of, don't you wish that you had infiltrated uh, these January 6 groups? And by groups here, you mean groups like the Proud Boys and others. Don't you wish that you were already in on these groups and had information about what they were about to do? But what your article suggests is that it is possible, perhaps even likely, that the FBI did, in fact, infiltrate these groups and did, in fact, in, uh, have information. And not only that, might have actually been among the instigators of the whole operation. Say a word about that. Well, yes, you're precisely right about that. And the opening scene of this Revolver.News bombshell is quite something, because, as you suggest, it is Amy Klobuchar asking question about infiltration, but begging the entire question by simply saying, oh, don't you wish you had? Wouldn't it have been better if she just asked, did you? She gives it, she just sets it up for him to evade the question, which he probably would have done anyway. But uh, Revolver.News is neither as presumptuous nor is it as accommodating as uh, Senator Klobuchar, and so we pose the questions directly. And I'm happy to report here that this has gained steam at the congressional level. In fact, the questions that uh, we pose in the Revolver.News article, uh, Representative Matt Gates has written those questions in a formal letter to Christopher Wray and has gotten multiple congressional signatories onto this letter. So uh, this is already, it's blowing up in the media. It's probably the biggest story in the country. 
and now it's being taken up in Congress. Well, and I can see that the left is already starting to freak out, and they're trying to come up with uh, objections and explanations. But before we get to those, let's just keep going here, because right after January 6th, there was a kind of uh, public acknowledgement through the government that this was a, a kind of a failed intelligence operation. And we have right. all kinds of statements to the effect I'm not going to read. This is from your article about the intelligence failure. A bipartisan Senate investigation found security and intelligence failures at every level, failing to warn of a potential of violence, a failure of leadership. So the narrative here is that the FBI was taken by surprise. The Capitol Police was taken by surprise. None of them knew this was coming. So in a sense, uh, that's bad. But what you say in the article is what would be even worse is if these guys not only knew about it, uh, but uh, were cooking it up. In other words, if they were actively involved in uh, fomenting January 6th, uh, at which point they could then turn around and get the political targets that they had actually set up in the first place. Yeah, precisely. I mean, there are three possibilities to consider. One is the official story, which is a fairly unbelievable story, but they've converged on this pretty uh, uh, pretty strongly, and that is the intelligence failure narrative. That, oh, we just, we had no idea that there could be violence leading up to January 6th. We just completely dropped the ball. We had no intelligence along these lines. The you know, that's why the Capitol basically had worse security on January 6th than any other day. It's like, you know, sitting at Passover, why is this night different than all other nights? Well, why is January 6th different than all other days where it has uniquely bad security on that day? That's a, that's a question unto itself. So there's the intelligence failure thesis, which is, of course, convenient for them because it detracts from the more the sinister possibilities that we explore, but also the solution to that is more surveillance capabilities. Basically, it tees them up for their next ask, which is we need more funding for Patriot Act 2.0, which means this time we're going after Patriots. So that narrative serves them well along a number of dimensions. The second possibility is that they did infiltrate these groups they knew there was possibility for violence, and they just sit back and let it happen for their own purposes. And the third possibility is that, uh, even worse than sitting back and let it happen, that there are key members at senior positions within these so-called militia groups associated with January 6th, namely in the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, and Three Percenters, key senior figures in here were listed as person X, person Y, and individual in the charging documents who are actually uh, 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 federal operatives in some capacity, either as informants or undercover agents. And so I think those second and third possibilities are the most damning and by far the most likely. Now let's turn to what I think is a very kind of telling clue as to how to referee among these different possibilities. And this is the phenomenon of the unindicted co-conspirator. You point out in your article that there appear to be 20, but there could be more, who unindicted co-conspirators in this operation. So by unindicted co-conspirator, we of course mean uh, people who participated in the operation, 
they did bad stuff, uh, they would normally be criminally charged. Uh, and right. by the way, this is against the backdrop of Merrick Garland and other people saying, we're going to leave no stone unturned. We're going to go after everybody. This is a shock and awe operation. We're going to hold these people accountable. We're going to send a message. But you're saying the presence of all these unindicted co-conspirators is highly suspicious, even more so because some of these guys, you know, this is not a case where these are the small fish reporting on the big fish. In right. many cases, these are the, the guys who did some of the worst stuff. They were actively involved in some of the most, in the planning, the booking of the hotel rooms, the organizing, and in the violence itself. Uh, exactly. And um, so, yes, that, that's precisely how the argument is structured. And to give a better sense of how it's all teed up, um, I think we should start with the so-called shock and awe standard of prosecution. We talk about that in the Revolver.News article. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael Sherwin, who was uh, taking the lead on prosecutions, he was interviewed, I think on Dateline, maybe some other show, where he outlines, we're doing a shock and awe standard of prosecution, invoking in terms of a phraseology from the Iraq War, which is interesting given the connections with Patriot Act and all these other things that they're trying to push. Shock and awe standards, to give you a sense of what the shock and awe standard means in practice, um, I would offer an example of this individual called George Tanios, who is this just, you know, I don't want to say anything disparaging, but he's he's not a mastermind, let's put it that way. He's an owner of a sandwich shop. His great offense was he was at the Capitol, he didn't go inside, he was at there, at the Capitol. He had bear spray. His companion wanted to reach for his bear spray to possibly spray officers in the, in the melee. He said, are we ready to do it? George Tanio says, no, no, not yet. On the basis of him saying, no, no, not yet, the government is charging him with conspiracy to assault officer, and he's facing 60 years in prison. So for saying no, no, not yet to his companion's attempt to get his bear spray, possibly spray an officer, he's facing 60 years. And just as a side point, the whole reason the bear spray was important was it was related to the death of Officer Sicknick in the media narrative. And that's a whole other uh, uh, media narrative that Revolver.News absolutely destroyed. First they said... This officer, Sicknick, who died, was bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher. We reported on that. That's turned out to be untrue. New York Times corrected it. The second narrative that they uh, landed upon was that he died of bear spray. We did a very sophisticated analysis at Revolver.News, a comparative image analysis, showing that Officer Sicknick was not sprayed by bear spray because there's a different spray um, a register that comes out in the image. We turned out to be right on that. We were the only people who did that. Now the official story of Sicknick is that he died of natural causes. So this whole, the reason the bear spray was important uh, in relation to Tanios is totally moot now because Sicknick didn't even die from the bear spray. Well, I found, it, uh, you know, I found it really telling that Biden, as late as yesterday, right. was still repeating the Sicknick lie. And in this case, right. I can't attribute it to his senility. I think this is actually right. malicious. I want right. to zoom back in, though, to uh, some of these unindicted co-conspirators. Uh, would right. you talk for a moment about the person who's called Person 2, 
because here's a guy uh, who is accused of working with uh, with the Oath Keepers, Thomas Caldwell, and you right. point out that Caldwell, they're going after Caldwell on a whole slew of charges, but this person, two guy, was alongside Caldwell from the very beginning. He planned logistics with Caldwell. He stayed in the same hotel room. Uh, Caldwell is accused of storming the barricades. This guy was right next to Caldwell, and yet only Caldwell is charged, and person two, for some mysterious reason, is not named, um, is not charged at all. And right. what you're getting at is, why is that? Why is it the case that person two has somehow escaped prosecution when his culpability would appear to be the same? Right, so um, let me just kind of finish explaining how this is teed up. So we have the shock and awe standard. The reason these other people, person X, person Y, person 1, 2, 3, 4, so forth, and individual, the reason those people, those these unindicted persons are important because our investigative team recognized that compared to this shock and awe standard applied to this poor sandwich shop owner facing 60 years, it's very bizarre that there are all of these unindicted persons in the charging documents who have not been indicted for whatever reason, who seem to have done as bad, if not worse, than the people who are actually charged. And we are exploring the possibility that some of those people may be unindicted as a result of a prior relationship with the federal government. Our standard of prosecution itself is an outrage. I'm merely pointing to the discrepancy in standards by saying, if certain people are charged according to that standard, why are the others not? And using that as an entry point to explore the possibility that there could be federal infiltration. I'm back with uh, Dr. Darren Beatty, the publisher of Revolver News. We're talking about whether January 6th was a deep state FBI setup. Darren, I think your article caught people by surprise because there have been these rival narratives. You know, maybe there was some Antifa infiltration of the Trump um, uh, contingent, uh, or maybe this was just a kind of tourist taking selfies. You're suggesting a much darker possibility, which is that this whole thing was orchestrated as an ideological hit by a corrupted uh, FBI or by a corrupted deep state. Um, and um, let's explore for a moment. Let's just let the implications of that sink in. Would you say is this is why the left is freaking out so much about this article? Is it because they realize that this whole narrative that they've tried to exploit is now sort of, well, if what you say is true, boomeranging right back on them? Uh, precisely. And I think it's important, as dark as this possibility is, the American people need to know the truth about 1-6. What's at stake in this truth is not just Ashley Babbitt, who was shot in cold blood. It's not just the hundreds of people that we've learned from Julie Kelly's amazing reporting who are being held in prison as political prisoners, as a violation of human rights in a disgraceful fashion. It's not just about that. But it's about you, Dinesh, it's about me, it's about over 70 million Americans who are Trump supporters, conservatives, who have been declared by our own government as de facto domestic terrorists. Because make no mistake, this new Patriot Act, this new weaponization of the national security state against MAGA-adjacent movements, which is the most important political development of the past decade, they're using January 6th and this possibly false narrative of January 6th 
as a pretext to affect this development, as a pretext to declare all of us domestic terrorists and to weaponize politically our entire national security infrastructure against us. That's what's at stake in here. And that's why they're freaking out that we're striking to the heart of the issue. Was that's this an true. intelligence failure or was this an intelligence setup? Now, one of the uh, strong indicators that it was the latter, an intelligence setup, is the fact that the FBI seems to have done this before. A few months ago, as we both know, uh, the FBI arrested 14 people for attempting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Now, once that case uh, began to unravel, began to be exposed, and we began to look into it, how many of those 14 people were in fact undercover FBI operatives or agents? It's remarkable. At, at least five. Five that we know of. And the fifth one revealed himself in a spectacular and actually quite amusing fashion, which we go into a little bit in the Revolver.news piece. So we're here doing the work, guys. We're working hard. We're trying to keep all the information available to you, and we're trying to keep you sane out there. I mean, it's, it's, you're wondering what has Christopher Ray been up to? What has he been doing all this time? He should have been checking into, uh, you know, Comey. What a disaster. I mean, he's still working for Obama against President Trump, and then just this entire debacle with the Mueller report. I mean, the FBI is a complete circus sideshow at this point. It's a freak show. And they're spending all their time not looking into who's pouring over our border or into trying to uphold the law, but now they're trying to just find a way to prosecute Whitey, trying to go again, you know, find patriots or Americans out there who they think represent a threat to the deep state or whatever they're doing. They've turned their guns and focus inward on the American people, and they're not here to protect the American people, but they're up here to uphold the power of the state, the deep state. We already went into this in other episodes, the connections with Washington, D.C., with the city of London, with Rome, with the Vatican, and how these the interconnections work. And so when you're trying to understand the deep state, you know, you're trying to understand the foundations of a republic that has been largely deteriorated, and it's been turned into an empire. And this is just a matter of fact. When you look at what America originally was, I mean, originally we were going to create a federation of nations. You know, 13 colonies would come together and they would have a central government and, and, and we would have enumerated powers and a constitution. And this is all gone. This is all gone. And in this day and age, the state apparatus is there to find outliers, dissidents, people who don't think like the state, who the state decides are no longer uh, politically viable. I guess it just depends on which way the wind is blowing. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't speak with the FBI if they came to speak with me. I mean, are they detaining me? If you're not detaining me, I'm not speaking with you. And I guess the question is, when people come to investigate you, what party are they do they belong to? Who are they investigating you on whose behalf? Obviously, if you're Hillary Clinton, you're very insulated. If you're Obama, you're insulated. You're, you can't be touched. The Secret Service are there just to, to lick your boots. And Christopher Ray is there just to make sure that, you know, Soros and all of his Davos party cronies. It's, it's, a, it's a unit party, guys. It's a unit party. It's a one-party system at some point. I mean, look at uh, McConnell. I mean, he, he's married to a, a Chinese spy for the last 30 years. You guys are just not paying attention. You're not looking at what's happening to your country. And you don't have the courage or the nerve to do what it takes to stand up. You know, the Hollywood and all their actors, Brad Pitt, are going to come out and make a commercial and, you know, and tell you how, how it is. And you're going to get your vaccine shot. You're, they're going to, you're going to do what they tell you to do. So just take it. And um, 
I'm just, we're, we're out here with you. We're in revolt. We're in rebellion. We're not going to go with the program out here. We're just not going to do it. So I don't know what Trump represents. I mean, he, it just seems like in his watch, we had a COVID outbreak and he, you know, Anthony Fauci, you know, and their uh, gain of function experiment and everybody has to have the masks. And, and, you know, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an insane world. And it seems like Trump just kind of ushered it in. I know that he was, it's like WWF wrestling. I know we were cheering for him. We had our like, our big foam fingers sticking up and waving in the Trump and we we're into it. But Trump didn't really, you know, do anything functionally for the right except for just you know flush everybody out with red hats it's like you're a target now you're a red trump hat running around and uh, these guys are making big big sacrifices look at these oil companies they're willing to go with the new green agenda which just shuts down all oil companies i guess they have their underground bunkers all set up and they're ready to go i mean is trump he's just another billionaire i mean did you think he was sticking up for us i mean can you believe it is it possible to believe that just a billionaire from new york was going to just, you know, just not play the other side. I mean, I, I never met the man. And uh, we have no choice but to vote for him and wave his little Trump flag, right? We don't have a choice because what else is there? The crack stem Biden family or, or skull and crossbones Bush family or we're going to assassinate you and molest your kids at the Epstein Island Clinton family. I mean, who do we got to turn to? I mean, who are these Trumps? And we just, we're just all like rushing to them, like stampeding, like little herding rats because we don't know where, you know, we don't know what we're doing here, guys. I have pictures where it shows that Clinton and Trump used to go golfing. And then like 10 years ago, he switched parties. I don't know, man. I just don't know what we're, we got ourselves into here. I mean, if Trump is our only hope, it just, it doesn't look too good. But let's go more into this gain of function issue here. I want to take a closer look at it interesting things about this virus. First of all, you want to talk about the viral backbone, so kind of the crux of the virus. The only lab in the world that has a virus that looks, that it's like, I believe, like 93% genetically similar to SARS-CoV-2 was this bat that came from a cave, a Yunnan cave, um, discovered by the Wuhan Institute of Virology years earlier, and they had published on that. But from there, there were a couple of other things that didn't match that. And so how did that come how did that come to be? And usually it's because there's mixing of species, you have bats with other animals and so forth and then to humans. But there was something called the receptor binding motif. And that's essentially how does the virus attach to the cell to invade it and to then infect? Well, that um, binding motif was very specific, and they did locate one very specific to that in a pangolin, which is like a, an anteater type of animal. And so they were thinking, okay, maybe the bats and the pangolins got together, and now we're really close to what SARS-CoV-2. But there was still one more mutation that needed to exist. And that was, you know, something that's become very controversial. And I'm not a virologist. I studied microbiology before medical school and immunology, but I'm not a virologist. But I tried to um, explain it the best I could in the book. This one cleavage site is what really has, this mutation has made this virus to be so transmissible and can cause such severe disease. And also, causes the um, involvement of the central nervous system, which is why people say they can't smell or they can't taste anything when they're infected. Well, what's interesting about that is that specific mutation is known to be a virulent mutation, one that would make a virus to be much more dangerous. Um, we've seen it in the worst influenza viruses. We've seen it in many other viruses. And that can happen in nature, undoubtedly. It can happen in nature. But at that specific lab, 
they have published data that they were actually introducing furin cleavage sites, those mutations, into certain coronaviruses to kind of test their virulence. And so when we talk about gain-of-function research, that's what that is. They're essentially giving a virus different functions to see what it would do. They've published on that data. It's not like we're, we're having some cloak-and-dagger operation or trying to determine what they're doing in there. They publish on it, so we know it's public knowledge. They were inserting those mutations. So, again, could this all happen in nature? Absolutely. Could it have happened in a lab? Sure. It needs to be investigated. And before we continue, I wanted to invite everyone to subscribe to Epoch TV. That's where you can get all of our exclusive content, including our new documentary, DeSantis, Florida versus Lockdowns, and a whole suite of other exclusive content. That's at epochtv.com slash ATL. You know, when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party, we've been looking at the Chinese Communist Party for 20 years at the Epoch Times. Everything is highly politicized, right? So you 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 assume that that's part of going to be part of the answer to the question. So one of the uh, things that you note in there is that that the virus, all the samples of the virus at the Wuhan lab, or samples of virus at the Wuhan lab, were destroyed early on. Well, there are a couple things that people still aren't talking about, which I'm just kind of waiting for them to talk about. I mean, they're in the book, so maybe they will at some point. Uh, you mentioned that the viral samples were destroyed. Not just the viral samples in the lab. Viral samples from the hospitals were destroyed. And that was their way of saying, we want them destroyed so they don't infect anybody else. But that's not really how public health works. Uh, we actually like to keep samples so that we can study it and create treatments and potential vaccines for it. And then if you remember very early on, the mantra was that the Chinese Communist Party is being much more forthcoming this time around. If you remember with the original SARS outbreak, they weren't forthcoming giving the genetic sequence. They're really keeping things close to the best. But yes, they did put forth that um, the genetic sequence, which a couple of days later is when the mRNA vaccines started being made. It was pretty incredible. But if you really looked into why they had to release that information, it was they were strong-armed to do that. And that's because another lab, and of course I'm drawing a blank on the name of the gentleman there, but the head scientist there had gotten a hold of samples from the hospital, and he sequenced the virus. And he sent that sequence. He knew he couldn't publish it himself because he, the Chinese Communist Party would likely see it and shut him down. So he sent that sequence to a friend of his in Australia. And he then put it on a public platform for all to see the sequence of this virus. Well, essentially, the Chinese Communist Party did find that. They shut the lab down for rectification, whatever that means. Uh, pulled the sequence off the internet, and then the Wuhan Institute of Virology the next day published the sequence like the heroes of the pandemic. It's like, what they actually weren't the first people to do that. It just is par for the course for what goes on um, there, it seems. Well, yeah, and, and rectification obviously means that someone had done, you know, committed an egregious anti-party sin and needs to be know, re rectified, so to speak. So I'll, I'll help decode that for everyone watching. Yeah, it's, it, you mean, I mean, you can't write this stuff, right? Initially, China, or via the Chinese Communist Party, uh, basically uh, hid the fact that there was human transmission. We know that as a fact now. Uh, the panic. At the same time, it influenced the WHO, um, or at least, and, and you argue, 
that as well. So tell me a little bit about this kind of hiding of the of the transmissibility and the sort of the complicity of other organizations, I think even in the U.S. perhaps. Well, you know, it's interesting. So China has the largest pandemic surveillance program uh, in place. They also have the largest coronavirus surveillance program in place. And yet nothing stopped this from happening. Uh, the alarm wasn't sounded for a potential um, epidemic or local outbreak. None of this occurred. You had some very brave Chinese whistleblower physicians who were alerting uh, colleagues, friends on some of their local platforms. But you didn't really hear anything from the government until weeks later. Um, and you kept hearing, yes, there were starting to be clusters of cases in family members and co-workers. That's a very early indication that there's human-to-human -human spread. And you started seeing healthcare workers falling ill. But there still wasn't being, there's was no warning that there was human-to-human uh, -human spread going on. Thank goodness you have Taiwan and Korea and others who had systemic memory from a less than forthcoming China from the original SARS. They weren't listening to what was going on. They shut down flights. They started screening all of the passengers. This was way before they even acknowledged there was human-to-human -human transmission going on. So it's a fascinating discussion and really dovetails with this other article that's here on the uh, American Thought Leaders podcast, and they're revealing a lot of interesting information. So let me just add this next article here as well. The Wuhan lab leak theory. Um, you know, this is something that has basically been verboten for the past uh, year. If you, you, you talked about it, you were some sort of tinfoil uh, hat conspiracy theorist. So how is this viewed by, in Europe and by media in Europe, this Wuhan lab leak theory that has completely shifted in North America? Well, I think in general, when you, when you think about Europe, uh, the European Union in particular, obviously not the UK anymore. Um, the UK is quite ahead of the European Union, um, but usually what we see is you have the US uh, charting a new course, a new understanding, then you have the UK following shortly, and then you know the EU will finally catch up, but it takes a bit more time. Um, so I think it's been two weeks now that, for example, in Italy it's um, okay-ish to talk about this, and, and, and some media are talking about it and giving some attention, um, but exactly as you said, even a month ago, you know, you were crazy if you talked about this. And I mean, I do agree, I think we're all serious people. I don't like conspiracy theories. Um, so I think we always have to be very prudent and, you know, follow the science, not come up with crazy theories. The issue was, was never allowed to be discussed, right, even within the scientific communities. I mean, the few people that did, I've been following, for example, Jamie Metzl for quite a while since last year, just because he, he made sense to me, you know. This was not a crazy guy um, talking about conspiracy theories. This was just a guy saying, okay, there's a scientific principle which is called Occam's razor. So we need to look at every single option and probably, you know, what is the most simple explanation is that it actually... Um, accidentally uh, leaked from, from, from this lab, that would be the most logical um, explanation. So obviously he said, and, and this is over a year ago, um, that doesn't mean that that's what happened, but it does mean it's something that at least needs to be discussed and investigated, right? I, I think we need to keep working, obviously aware of the fact that 
the CCP is never going to give us the truth. They're never going to give us the access necessary to really be sure. And this is, if you want, in a way, very similar, for example, to how they are dealing with um, the Uyghur issue, the Uyghur genocide in Xinjiang. Their favorite course of um, defense is, well, you are not here, you are not able to verify, um, all your reports are based on, you know, hearsay or fake testimonies or um, presupposition. Um, and on the other hand, obviously, we have our friendly friends, journalists and, and, and politicians and, and, um, and, and whoever that are here and they're, they're you know, painting a very rosy picture of what's actually going on. Um, and so, again, we see this, we see this double strategy, uh, which makes it very hard, obviously, for people, I think, who, who try to do a serious job. And I think there's so many researchers out there trying to do a, re a serious job, whether it's on Xinjiang, on, on Tibet, on COVID. Um, and their work is basically being made almost impossible. And I think the worst thing is when people from within the scientific community use the kind of strategies that the CCP has put in place to discredit those people as not being serious. Because I think these people are themselves are the first to say, look, these are the issues we have. These are the limits, the limitations being put on our research. So obviously, you know, there are some, some issues there. But the fact that people are falling into the trap of, of the of what the CCP strategy is, I think is the most baffling baffling of all. I think for over a year, many of us, me, I was scared, you know, to even utter the theory. Because as soon as you would have uttered it, even as just, you know, this is a possible thing, can we discuss it, please? What are the, the issues? Um, you would be discredited, and that meant that a lot of the rest of what you were doing would be discredited as well. So that's a kind of censorship, a very effective show of censorship by the Chinese Communist Party and their foreign votes. So far from being the intellectual masterminds, it seems that uh, Europe is just mind slaves of the propaganda that the New World Order, you know, World Health Organization, World Bank, United Nations elites just pump out for them, and they just seem to believe whatever they're told. And so it's left to, uh, once again, I guess, the National Pulse and, and the Revolver and the American media, the, the, the 1% of the American media that isn't ruined and bought, uh, bought out by the corruption of the CCP. So let's look here at another American Thought Leaders article here that kind of ties in. The, in Europe, you know, we've been kind of stunned to see this comprehensive agreement on investment um, coming through in the, the European Parliament. Of course, there's been a bit of criticism of it now, but it was just astounding to see, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, prospective legislation that was just completely divorced from any, uh, you know, human rights considerations of any sort. I mean, I just had it this weekend, people telling me, you know, that they are businessmen and they were just telling me, oh, you know, you're a human rights activist, you guys are always, you know, you, you seem to live on, on, I don't know, on a cloud. Uh, somehow, if you say you're a human rights activist, people tend to think you're, I don't know, a hippie. Um, and... Uh, you don't think anyone should do business at all, which is obviously not the case. I just, I, I tr always try to explain that actually uh, human rights activists may be the most pro-business. I mean, we are just not so happy with people having exported jobs and opportunities to a country, you know, 
where you can't compete. You can't compete with slavery, you can't compete with forced labor, you can't compete with endless subsidies by the state um, when you are living in a free market democracy where, you know, we have the European Commission, the same one that negotiated the deal, um, that tells you that all those things cannot be done, obviously, um, it makes sense. So it's about much more actually than, than human rights. And the red capital story comes in. This was a report done by a Hong Kong Watch, an excellent report, um, explaining, showing how Beijing, um, after the Umbrella Revolution in 2014 in Hong Kong, started heavily investing in Hong Kong, creating this kind of interdependency, strategic interdependencies between um, enterprises, business in Hong Kong and the mainland, um, and vice versa. And how this actually changed, overturned a very important part of the opinion makers in Hong Kong, those holding the power, um, especially in business. So obviously this, again, it's a warning sign coming because if you create these kind of strategic dependencies also in Europe, and already we have them, okay, if we think especially in what is coming now, this kind of green revolution, we all know that we are so heavily dependent on China um, for the rare earths and all these materials coming in, right? I mean, I, I think 90% of the solar panel market uh, in Europe is, is coming from from China, we know that those are linked to forced labor and slavery in Xinjiang. Um, but it also means that you give China a very heavy weapon to be used against you if you don't respect, if you don't, you know, oblige to their censorship efforts or to their telling the China story well, um, um, or you are critical in any way. So it's a very um, dangerous game. And actually what we've already seen, if we talk about the CHI, this comprehensive agreement on investment, I mean, the bigger, biggest promoters were Germany and France. And Germany obviously has some of the biggest companies working in China. I'm thinking in particular, the particular of Volkswagen, who actually has a plant in uh, Xinjiang. And we've been, you know, they just said it. Oh, we, we are not, we cannot be sure uh, 100%, you know, that we are not participating in this forced labor scheme. But, you know, we'll just keep operating here as long as it's economically viable. So I think as a human rights activist, but also as a European citizen, I'm asking how are we in any way benefiting from this other than being all in a way, you know, linked to the horrors happening in China. And there I'm thinking especially of the green economy industry, because under the recovery, recovery plan after covid we are going to be spending so much public money, tax money, so we've all contributed to that, on this green, green transition. But if that goes hand in hand with massively importing from China stuff that's been made with forced labor, with, you know, oppression, um, I think that's horrible because that's, that's the worst appeasement possible, right? So I think she's absolutely right. We can see that the European Union is being directed into this kind of debased and perverse relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. And the Chinese Communist Party has, since 1949, like we were saying, just after the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, has been enslaving like a huge and awful parasite and criminally abusing the Chinese people for profits for many, many, many decades now. And it's time for us to call it out. It's time for the the wonderful and amazing heritage 
and traditions and ancient and wonderful ethnic culture of the Chinese people to be saved from these communist transnational criminal organization there that is controlling Beijing. So in order to kind of take this a little bit farther, let's like, once again listen to some of my recent listening, uh, the information I've been dealing with here, and we'll take a listen. This is the Mike Gallagher Show. I am concerned about how Joe Biden behaves towards Vladimir Putin, and for the last four months, he has been pathetically weak. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has helped ease the suffering of this pandemic, which was more than likely caused by science. I hate to burst uh, sleepy Joe Biden's bubble here, but we're 75 million plus strong, and guess what, Joe? We're not going anywhere. Now, from the ReliefFactor.com studios, here's Mike Gallagher. <laughs> Good thing John Stewart doesn't have a show anymore, because they'd have tried to cancel him if he did. Holy moly. What an extraordinary night of television with John Stewart sort of putting Stephen Colbert in his place and saying uh, the Wuhan lab obviously had something to do with the Wuhan virus. I mean, the left is going crazy. Washington Post, of all places, the Washington Post, sort of condemning John Stewart. Celebrities shouldn't have opinions about things like this. All of a sudden now, they're going to get prickly over celebrities with opinions. What a load of hypocrisy we see from the left. Day in, day out, non-stop. But I am really focused today on something that I've heard over and over again just by watching Tucker Carlson every night. And that is that evidently a number of people who are who went to the Capitol on January 6th and have been charged with breaching the Capitol, i.e. trespassing, I guess there's still people in jail from that. I, I mean, don't take my word for it. Here's the FBI director. This is cut number eight. FBI director Chris Wray um, in front of a congressional committee and Congressman Bob Gibbs, a Republican from Ohio, asked a, a pretty important question about the status of many of the trespassers and, I guess, rioters, although I don't know that it's clear, but people who were engaged in the January 6th riots who are evidently still languishing behind bars. Listen to this. Has there been any insurrection charges? Uh, I don't believe so, but again, there have been close to 500 and, cases, and, and you know, uh, but I don't believe I mean, so. Have been, uh, people been held in jail since January, or since their arrest? Uh, on trespassing charges or minor charges that are still, are they held in jail without due process? I don't believe anybody's been denied due process, sir. Do you hear that? Do you hear what he, first of all, no one's been charged with insurrection. Wait a minute. I thought the, the media declared January 6th was a massive insurrection, so much so that it dwarfed Pearl Harbor and 9-11 combined. There's absolutely... No doubt that according to the mainstream media, January 6th at the Capitol was an insurrection. Wait a minute, FBI Director Christopher Wray. 
No one has been charged with insurrection? Not one person? Furthermore, are there people still in jail? Denied due process? FBI director's answer, I don't believe anybody's been denied due process. I asked my producer, can you find out if there's still people, don't we know if there's still people in jail? He can't find it. I think, I don't know, and he's pretty good at it. That's because nobody's talking about it. It's not being covered. But aren't the families, the families are probably too afraid to talk about it because they don't want worse things to happen to their loved ones. Excuse me, are people still in jail for trespassing charges from January 6th? Are you kidding me? Certainly the media's got a couple of journalists who can ask that question. It, certainly there's somebody other than Tucker Carlson who can, keeps, keeps bringing this up. He brings it up almost every night. Maybe we should follow suit. Are there people still in jail over January 6th? And is it true that not one of them have been charged with insurrection? Which means these, got, these have to be relatively minor charges? How can you lock people up for many months on minor trespassing charges? What about the people who burned down buildings because of police shootings in America? What about the guy that cleared the shelves of the Walgreens in San Francisco this week, caught on video? He in jail? Excuse me. These are political prisoners. We're like some weird... We've turned into some crazy third world dictatorship. We've got political prisoners in jail. We've got people, I guess, rotting in jail. So we're going to wrap this up and we have one more interesting little tidbit we want to add so that we and we'll add these links into the notes there so you can take a listen to these episodes and we just need you to get up to speed and we have to beat the algorithm we have to penetrate all this propaganda we have to find out what's really going on we have to find sources of, of information that we can trust that aren't being co-opted or being choreographed in order to you know create all these false realities people are walking around in these different kind of false realities you have these people um, who ultimately will believe whatever they're uh, told by their smart devices to believe. So let's take a listen to Dinesh D'Souza and get some perspective. From a new article in Vanity Fair, and I've got to give credit to Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair normally publishes all kinds of rubbish, uh, all kinds of uh, dubious theories and so on, but they've got an in-depth, uh, I mean, it's 20 or 30 pages in the magazine, beautifully researched, heavily sourced, credible article, uh, and they point out that this Lancet statement was organized by a guy who is a massive investor in gain-of-function research. This guy's name is Peter Daszak. Peter Daszak was the organizer of this statement. Now, you might ask, how does a guy, Peter Daszak, have the clout to put a statement like this together? Well, the answer is, when federal money goes to American labs, these American labs control a whole network of virologists because they disperse that federal money out to all a researcher over here, a researcher over there. So they've got all these virologists in their back pocket. Now, Another guy who's very actively involved in this gain-of-function research is a guy named Dr. Ralph Barrick. Dr. Ralph Barrick is the guy who was the direct beneficiary through his organization called EcoHealth Alliance. He was getting the federal money. And Barrick was the guy basically working directly with Wuhan. 
So this is another guy who's in the front of this, another guy who has a direct self-interest in it. And so Dasik and Barak are the two guys together, in a sense, organizing this statement. And here's, here's where you know that their motives are malicious. Why? Because Dasik emails Barak and he goes, no need for you to sign the statement, Ralph. And I'm, I'm not going to quote him. He goes, uh, you and me should not sign this statement. So it has some distance from us and therefore doesn't work in a counterproductive way. What he's getting at is, let's put all these front men, other virologists out front. Let's keep your name and mine off the, the signatory list. Why? Because that way there will appear to be no self-interest involved. These virologists were speaking objectively with the authority of science, whereas in fact, the two guys organizing the statement have a direct self-interest. They're the ones getting the money. They're the ones that the blame would fall on if there is blame to fall. And Barrick agrees, by the way. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to sign it either. He goes, otherwise it looks self-serving. You know why it looks self-serving? Because it is self-serving. So Barrick ultimately didn't sign the statement. In the end, the other guy, Dazik, did. But we now know why they put it out. So this is only the sort of beginning of the story. One other tidbit uh, for this segment, and then I'll go into this in more depth. Um, Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC under Trump, uh, began to suspect that something was wrong here. Why? Because Dr. Redfield got a call from a Chinese scientist, a fellow named George Fu Gao, head of the Chinese Center for Disease Control. And this guy told Robert Redfield, I've been looking at these cases and this meat market explanation makes absolutely no sense. And so Redfield went on CNN and he said, you know, I'm beginning to suspect that COVID-19 may have come from a lab. He does this in late March. Now, very interestingly at this point, uh, Redfield says he started getting death threats. From whom? Not from random activists, not from Antifa people, from scientists. Scientists began to call him and threaten his life, if you can believe it. So what this means, really, uh, is that, um, um, and a couple of these people, Redfield says he knew they were his friends. Uh, I'm not quoting Redfield and Vanity Fair. I expected it from politicians. I didn't expect it from science. So what you're getting at here is that there's a powerful scientific establishment and lobby that gets huge amounts of taxpayer money. And all these people felt threatened because they were sort of like nuclear scientists who are trying to cover up a nuclear accident. It's extremely important for them to go after people who, who point the, the finger of blame at them or who point the spotlight toward them. It's extremely important for them to shut those lines of inquiry down. And then there's, of course, the deeply corrupt role of digital media. Because the digital media moguls were in on it. If you just look at the Fauci emails, look at the extent of his connections to Chris Cuomo, for example, at CNN. Regular emails to Cuomo. Look at his connections to Bill Gates. Look at his connections to Mark Zuckerberg. And you ask yourself, what's Fauci doing exchanging information with Zuckerberg? Well, the answer is Fauci realizes that part of the way you control this narrative, part of the way you keep blame away from the scientific community that's directly implicated here is you cultivate powerful friends. You put on your lab coat so they all get the idea that you're just speaking for science. They all obviously want to be, you know, they want to be helpful. They want to do the right thing. And so you convince them that doing the right thing in this case is shutting all your critics down, banning them, pulling down their posts. And Facebook, as we know now, pulled down tens of millions of posts 
both of them are raising legitimate possibilities, legitimate debate on the biggest issue in the world, an issue that's devastated the world economy, an issue that's actually propelled China's rise to a virtual status of a competing superpower with the United States, that's destroyed lives, that's put relatives in graves, that's shut down our lives, that's subtracted almost two years of our lives. All of this, it now appears in retrospect, was done. Why? To cover up the culpability of a small cabal, well, not so small, of powerful people in science and in government and in, at the National Institutes of Health and also in other places in the U.S. government 